to me, equity is intentionality. It's making sure you have intentionality and access and opportunity and inclusion by using information. Equity work is just the work. It's just the work using information to close gaps and ensuring that, again, we have inclusion, opportunity, and access. Welcome to District Leader, a podcast about moving and inspiring educators and non-educators alike to believe in the power of education, its leaders, and its transformation with your host, Luis Valentino. How do superintendents and other district leaders stay focused and help those they serve stay focused on the right work? What is the right work? In my conversation today, we will be discussing this question and its role in disrupting the system in ways that responds to the inequities the pandemic has made more visible for all of us. My guest today is Dr. Gustavo Balderas, superintendent of the Edmonds School District in Edmonds, Washington. Dr. Balderas has been an educator for 30 years and has served as teacher and school administrator. He has also served in multiple district leadership positions, including superintendencies in California, Oregon, and now Washington State. My guest began his life as a child of migrant farm workers in Eastern Oregon and developed his love of learning and passion for education in Oregon public schools from kindergarten through his doctoral degree in educational leadership at the University of Oregon. Dr. Balderas was named the Oregon Distinguished Latinx Educator of the Year, the Oregon Superintendent of the Year, and the American Association of School Administrators National Superintendent of the Year. We will chat with Gustavo right after our affiliate message. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors. Audible, the world's largest producer and provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. edX, the trusted platform for adult education and learning. Learning resources, where their mission is to help kids love to learn. And wiredprofiles.com, education's daily digest. You can learn more about our affiliate sponsors at www.districtleader.net slash sponsorship. Gustavo, good to talk to you. How are you? Doing great, Luis. Hope you're well. How are you doing right now as a new superintendent coming in to a new environment and being hit with the pandemic? I think first, I wouldn't ever recommend taking a new superintendency during a pandemic. So I just want to start that off. So I think we're all tired. I have not spoken to a superintendent or central office person who says that they're feeling very refreshed coming into the new school year. So I think people are tired. I think people are focused and and excited actually to get started again. You know, we've been having a lot of community forums, getting ready for the fall. Our kids and my advisory groups are actually just really excited to get back, even if it's a virtual environment, which we will be. They're just excited to get back to some level of normal, which is at least being a school setting, even if it's remote. But I think right now people are are exhausted and doing the best we can. And we've asked for patience and for grace from our community. We're excited to get the school year started. And for us, it begins next Wednesday on the 9th. So tell us a little bit more about your school district so that they can get a sense, a little bit better context of where you are. Yeah, so currently, and again, I'm beginning my ninth week in the Edmond School District, which is about 10 miles north of Seattle. It's a suburban urban area, five municipalities. We have five municipalities. Those five municipalities include Linwood 
Edmonds, Briar, Mount Lake Terrace, and Woodway. And they all make up the Edmonds School District, which is about 22,000 kids last year. 22,000 kids, 100. Last year, we had 129 languages last year. 53% of our kids are kids from diverse backgrounds. So it's a really diverse, eclectic community because of the five municipalities. It's been traditionally a high-achieving district, but it's really changed. Like many of the school districts that I've worked in, there's been dramatic change the last 40, 50 years in terms of the composition of the district. It used to be where it was 90% white, 10% kids of color. And now 53% of our kids came from diverse backgrounds last year. It's changed the last 40, 50 years. So given that shift, but also the fact that all of your leadership in Edmonds has been through the pandemic, how have you led through that? You know, I try to lead through a systematic approach. Even when I left Eugene and I spent five years in the Eugene School District and did great work there with the just phenomenal staff that I had. We did just phenomenal work and support a board. But being here in a short time, even when I was in Eugene, I taxed staff here and senior staff to create a system of engagement with our kids. So we had 21 work groups in our community. So we had 21 different work groups. I think that's pretty standard across big districts that I've talked to in terms of the different work groups that were working on the startup, the reopening of school. Also, over-communication. I don't think we can over-communicate with our communities. So we've done a lot of communication in terms of community forums. I think we held four just last week in the evening on a variety of topics, and we're going to continue to have a variety of community meetings with our families and also having engagement. So I do speak Spanish, but having me on Spanish speaking stations as well as some of my senior staff that do speak another language to communicate with other families since we can't be face to face much. So being able to do a lot of outreach in native language to those families that uh, traditionally have not been as engaged as maybe we want them to be or need them to be in our schools. So again, led through just a lot of creation of systems and teams to get ready for, for the fall, but also a lot of communication. Has that helped you remain focused? Because one of the things that can easily happen is the distractions, right, that are caused because of the closure, the connection that is lost among students, teacher students, principals, schools. So how have you been able to remain focused and keep people focused on the right work? That's a great question. What I've been saying about this pandemic, it's a necessary distraction, This is a necessary distraction that every school district, the 14,000 school districts in the United States are just trying to work through. And it's very unique across the United States in terms of how this pandemic has become politicized in some areas, which is a tragedy in itself. My opinion, again, these are my opinions. But I just trying to make sure that we're focused on the right work and continue the right work. I talked to my senior staff when I first arrived. I said, you know, we're going to get through this. We have to stay focused on those things that we were focused on before because that was the right work. And those are ensuring that we close gaps that we have present in our system, that make sure that we differentiate our delivery of instruction to ensure that we're meeting every kid at the rate and level and providing extensions and supports and interventions for kids and making sure that we have that in in the forefront and not lose focus on those elements. Because again, it's easy to be distracted during this pandemic. And what I call what we did in March, emergency remote teaching and learning, because that's what it was. It was emergency remote teaching and learning, because if school leaders had time to prepare, we wouldn't have rolled out what we rolled out in March. We had time to prepare like we did now. So we're going to be better. And I'm making no apologies to what happened in March, because no one expected that. No one signed up for that. It just happened. 
and it kept on being extended out. I felt bad for everybody involved, but more, but really, really terrible for our kids and families, but we'll be better. But just being focused on the kids that have been traditionally most marginalized by our educational system, those kids have been even more marginalized during these times. And that's something that is really top of mind for me and top of mind that I really remark often to my staff is we need to make sure that we do a phenomenal job of engagement of our kids and making sure that we're engaging our kids and meeting with families and making sure that we have the connectivity, first of all, that our kids need, which is basic education now. Kids need to be wired. That's basic ed. So basic education. And we're working with internet providers for buying hotspots. We were close to a one-to-one district, now we're fully one-to-one. But not just that, and how do we provide the professional development and training for parents to ensure that they're working with their kids, to ensure that how they can support them. And I, and Louise, I look back in my own upbringing, and my mom and dad were from Mexico, and they were illiterate. And I look at a lot of our kids and their families, and they maybe could come from the same background I came from. And my parents could not ever support me in this type of education because they couldn't even turn on the computer, right? Because we didn't have a computer at home. Even if they were now, we wouldn't have a computer at home. So how do we support those families to ensure that they're maximizing, that we're getting the maximum community support from the families to our kids and their educational experiences? And that's a, really a lot of outreach, a lot of professional development for our teachers to reach out to families, but also for us as the district to ensure that we are meeting the family's needs to how to connect with kids at home because it is difficult. It is difficult work. You know, what's interesting is I listened to you prior to the closure of our school system across the country, the way that you describe what you're doing would have been considered disrupting the system, right? Now it's the new normal, right? As it's being referred to, you do talk about disruption towards equity, right? And so what does that look like now in this new environment where what would have been considered disruptive is now normal, but we still have to continue to disrupt because there are a lot of inequities that still exist and will continue. And in fact, may even grow if we're not careful in how we approach this work. Absolutely, Luis. And let me maybe talk about the work that I did in Eugene to disrupt that system. And we were back in our traditional teaching and learning. So in the five years I spent in Eugene, we were able to close opportunity and achievement gaps. You know, we, we close our, our graduation rates increased by 14 percentage points overall, but Latino and kids navigating poverty by 20 percentage points and kids in special programs by 24 points in those five years. But also during that time, Luis, we were able to diversify our leadership ranks. So 40% of my principals in Eugene and our principals in Eugene were leaders of color. And that went from 10% to 40% during my tenure. And for our listeners in the state of Oregon, that is not easy to accomplish. In Eugene, it's 20% of the total population is folks of color and people of color. And we were able to double that and had a very supportive community, very supportive school board. And I did that very aggressively and very intentionally. I also was able to get the right people in the right seats. It changed out 85% of my school principals during my five years. So I was able to move people to, and again, some of those people just move seats. Maybe you're an elementary principal, moved you to middle school, maybe high school to middle school, and some people retired and we were able to have an opportunity to go out and recruit. So again, 85% of the principals were turned over during my tenure, and we were able to really make a difference in terms of the diversification, which was really important and was, and literally, that's been part of my core 
during my whole career. I co-founded with Carlos Perez, retired deputy superintendent from Hillsboro. 17 years ago, we co-founded the Oregon Association of Latino Administrators. We did that to disrupt the system. We did that to disrupt the system. And we, so we've been, I've been working to try and disrupt the system and I've not had a better platform then as a superintendent to do that. And here in Edmonds, I've only been here two months and I hope to do the same work here that I've done before, working with tremendous school leaders and also community leaders to work on common goals to ensure that we are closing gaps that we have. First of all, identifying the gaps and then closing gaps by using information to inform decision-making. So to answer your question, I think the way I'm gonna lead here is the same way I've always led, as I use information to guide and drive decision-making, but also uh, I use information to really question the system, the why. The why aren't more kids of color in advanced placement classes? Why aren't more kids of color or females in STEM courses, for example? So I think just calling out the question, sometimes we get so busy in our day-to-day operations that we lose focus on things that are right in front of us because we get so comfortable in the system that there's a feeling that why are you trying to disrupt something if it's working? Well, because it's not working. The system is not working for some kids and has not worked for some kids. And that's why you need to use information to ensure that you're meeting the needs of all kids. And that's something that, that, that I'll continue to push through my senior leaders, through my principals, through my teacher ranks. Well, I think the challenge is that the disruption is because you're disrupting what has worked for those whom, for whom it's always worked, right? But to your point, it's not worked for those uh, whose needs we're trying to address. And so, as I hear you, some of the questions that you will continue to ask yourself are those fundamental questions that have always been part of how you've led. Are we actually serving all of our students? Are we meeting the needs of those students who historically we've marginalized? Those are fundamental because they were existing before the closure. And now even more so, we have to ask the same question. And I guess the shift is going to be the solution may be different, right? We're addressing a similar problem, but now we know a little bit more about what it means to work remotely. We know a little bit more about focusing attention on empowering children and raising advocacy levels for them and their teachers. And so the solution is where I think the disruption is going to be where it's now going to challenge people to think differently. I can agree with you more is how do we reach out to families in a truly two-way manner to have really a two-way communication, two-way dialogue. It's how do we really do that intentionally? To me, Equity is always about intentionality. And I define equity, equity is an overused term. I tell you that right now. Equity is kind of a catch word for the last you know, 15 years or so. And depending on what state you work in, we have equity teams, we have an equity lens, we have equity decision-making tools, we have, look, look at say, I mean, just, aware. and literally to me, equity is intentionality. It's making sure you have intentionality and access and opportunity and inclusion by using information. Equity work is just the work. It's just the work using information to close gaps and ensuring that we have inclusion, opportunity, and access. Gap. Zero belief that we actually want to close the gaps, right? And what will be required with intentionality to close those gaps. And so I guess the question here is how do we ensure that our CDL, our comprehensive distance learning, will actually help to do that? Right. How are we supporting families and what are we asking of our families? So let me ask you, as you think about your families and the level of engagement that you've already done with them, 
what is the ask of the family? I think what I'm asking for families is just making sure that they stay tuned in, but also how do we hold the system accountable to that? We can't hold kids more accountable than the adults in the system. So how do I ensure that I have systems of communication and outreach for all families? Again, we have 129 languages here in Edmonds. That's a lot of languages. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of languages. And there's a lot of singletons there también, uh, also. But how do you reach out to all families in a more intentional manner? So because, again, we are remote. They're not going to be coming on our campuses. But how do we go out to them in environments where they reside to get the information out? And I think it's really stretching the system, the institution of a school district, to ensure that we're being very intentional in our outreach and truly have two-way dialogue to how things are working. I mean, when we headed out hotspots in the spring, you know, some of my parents didn't know what it was, right? So every time we're trying to plug it in, they didn't know what it was. So it's literally as simple as turning on a Chromebook and really to really explain what a learning management system is to parents that maybe aren't familiar. And how do we hold the system accountable to that? So how do we ensure that we're doing a better job of that so they can do a better job with their kids and also having authentic two-way communication on an ongoing basis to check in to see how it's working. I think that's our responsibility. Mm. So Gustavo, what is your model that you're using for the first part of the school year? You know, it's interesting. When I first arrived the first two weeks and I've been working with staff already before I left Eugene is to go fully hybrid because everybody thought we were in hybrid. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Two weeks later, we're going to full remote. So now 90% of all Washington state students will be starting off the school year fully remote. So 90% of Washington state and uh, it's a full remote and we're working to try and bring in some of our students that need additional supports, some students in special programs, second language learners, maybe our youngest scholars, our youngest learners, our kindergarten students, our English language learners. We're trying to figure out a way to be able to do that sooner than later with our teachers association. And just because again, we may be in this for a while and uh, I do worry that what keeps me up at night is the gaps that some of our kids are widening because of the environment that we live in right now. And by being remote, it truly is inequitable for some families by having to go fully remote. I get that. It is not fair. It is widening the gaps. So how do I bring in some kids and small learning pods of five or less to our buildings as quickly as I can? So that's what keeps me up at night. And that's kind of what the model is right now is we're fully remote for everybody but we're trying to bring in some kids and small learning pods. Are there lessons to be learned from all of this? Absolutely. I think, you know, this has really put a spotlight on the inequities that have been always here in our school systems, but are sometimes invisible when kids leave our schools. And this is really spotlighted the inequities with the lack of connectivity, the lack of technology, the lack of really understanding how families can support their kids at home with our current technology. So I think it's lessons learned is I don't think we're going to ever go back to the traditional school that we had before we left. I think this has really made an impact and I'm already thinking about, I view everything as an opportunity. So this is an opportunity for us to be one-on-one in terms of advice to kid, but also it's our teachers understand how to do remote learning and teaching and learning a little bit better than they had before because they were forced to do that. So how do we expand some opportunities for kids even when we come back to our brick and mortars, our traditional campuses, by using technology to augment their education? And how do we do a better job of just using technology 
even to really support families. If we're one-to-one -one technology now, we can do our teacher conferences, our parent-teacher conferences via Zoom. It seems like we're Zooming all day. And how do we augment kids for singleton courses, for example, that are required, say secondary, you have a health class, can you do that via distance learning to maybe add another space in your very packed schedule to add uh, another course that's required to still be in IB or still take the one hands-on that you need to have on campus? So I think we're going to be looking at things differently. So in that, has your curriculum also shifted? It has, and also how we assess kids, right? So how do we assess kids to make sure that we're meeting the rate and the level? I think, you know, just being more familiar with online assessments, online curriculum, that a little bit better. Most adoptions have already had that there, but some people have not been using it. So it really forced the system to utilize all of the curriculum and really look at the online curriculum and be better at that to ensure that we're meeting the needs of kids. And we're continuing to work with staff on and ensuring that we have a really good backbone for our kids, especially our distance learning kids that are going to be with the, have been with us. I think our partners as well have really upped up their game. So are our partners that, uh, because they've had to. So because, and now I think everybody's paying attention a little bit more than they have before. So it's an exciting time, I think, to be in education. It's a tiring time, but it's an exciting time because I think this is really, it really forced school districts to really focus on how to use technology to really truly augment schooling in a different manner. And I truly think this will just change that this has been a game changer in many respects. I think, you know, looking even at our agrarian calendar, I think that's going to be looked at here in the next few years here in Edmonds. I know I'm looking at that as well in terms of why do we still have an agrarian calendar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you wonder. Yes. And especially now, since we have technology, can we do things differently now to really have kids accrue credit maybe at their own pace? And in some ways, you're making the best of a very difficult situation, but you're also looking beyond just that. So what advice do you have for our listeners during this time, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a school district leader, to inspire them to remain hopeful? I think you know, always look at schooling as the North Star. Keep kids at the center of your bullseye. If we keep kids at the center of our bullseye, then everything it will work out. Everything will work out. We keep kids in the center of bullseye and do what's best for kids each and every day and also have the North Star that we are going to open up, that we will open up school at some point and be prepared for that. So I think never lose the hope of what kids want and need and what families want and need and getting this back to our traditional brick and mortars as quickly as possible. And it may be a semester. It may be around spring or maybe next year. We don't know. We don't know. But I think being the biggest cheerleader and champion for having our kids back and doing everything we can, Luis, to engage kids in extracurricular activities, even if it's via an online portal where there's clubs, there's other engagements for kids, there's ways to connect kids, you do pairings. We can use technology to really continue to not just augment our educational experiences by the day-to-day -day lessons, but also through other activities that kids need to socialize. Do you have a quote that resonates with you that you would want to share with our listeners, Gustavo? Probably a lot of quotes, but one quote that kind of stands top of mind right now during this is leading with the end in mind. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, just a minute ago. Leading with the end in mind means to me is always have your goal. And what are your goals? and lead with the end in mind. What do you want to accomplish when you're done? When my career is over, 
what is the legacy that people will look back and say, what did you do? What did he do? What did he do? And do that again. And, and I tell people, lead with the end in mind. So what do you want the system to look like when you leave it? And keep working on that. Because again, telling you right now, being a superintendent, being a principal, being a teacher, doing being a, a, in any staff member in school right now is very, very difficult work. Anywhere you go, it's really difficult work. Right, now. It's easy to get discouraged. So always keep focus on the end goal and keep striving. Take two steps forward, one step back. But you know what? You keep taking steps forward to that goal because you know you're going to get beat up. You know you're going to get hit. But again, at the end of the day, it's doing what you think is best for kids, all kids. That's what my remarks would be to people is keep lead with the end in mind and you make sure that you have goals for yourself. And again, and knowing full well that the work is not easy, but there is no better profession than being an educator. And right now it is a really tough deal that we're all working through, but know full well that we'll get through this together and be better because of it. That's great. Thank you for that, Gustavo. Appreciate your words there. So how can people get a hold of you in case they have questions? Maybe they want to talk to you further about the things that you've shared with us today. Absolutely. I take a lot of calls and I love sharing information because I learn from others. So if people call me, you know, I pick their brains too in terms of how they're doing. So absolutely. My Twitter, it's at Soup Balderas, my LinkedIn as well. And I'll give that information to you, but also my email. Fantastic. And so for listeners, as you know, that information will be available in the show notes on the website at districtleader.net. Gustavo, I want to thank you for making time to talk with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. And again, thank you for your leadership in Portland and for the work you're doing for our kids in Portland. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Superintendent Gustavo Valderas. If you would like to connect with Gustavo, Contact information will be available in the show notes, along with links to other material covered in the episode. You can find it at districtleader.net. As I shared with you in a previous episode, your health and wellness are critically important, especially during times like these. Through self-care and mindfulness, you can better prepare to meet the challenges you are facing daily. And so a reminder that in the resources section of the District Leader website, I have added a set of resources for you to read, reflect on, and apply. And feel free to share them with your colleagues. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors for their support. And I would like to thank you for joining us. And don't forget to tell a friend. <music>